Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. Good morning, Lord Jesus, I just ask you that only what you want said will be said. And that each person that you want to speak to that you will open their hearts and their minds to hear your voice and not mine. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great love and majesty, for your great mercy. Well, I was raised in Northern Ireland and from a family that was very much working class family, um, very much uh, Steeped in their Catholic faith. So, as children, we prayed the rosary every night. We knelt in our kitchen. We got into so much trouble because we were always pushing each other and trying to make each other laugh. And my father used to say, I'm going to kill every one of you if you don't stop. <laughs> and we went to Mass every Sunday. So, I wasn't raised in a home where they talked all the time about God, but God was always there. And it was as natural as breathing. And all my community, my friends, we all went to Mass on a Sunday. And I'm very privileged and I thank God for that experience, for that foundation. But in my, when I was about 16, I woke up one morning and I just knew there was no God. That I had been told a lie that God was like an escape from troubles and worries. Like a big lump of putty. You know what putty is that you put windows in with and fill cracks in the wall? He was like a big lump of putty. When you had a worry, you'd take a piece of this putty and squeeze it into the worry and, and keep going. And for a year, I was truly depressed. And because I thought I was the only one who knew it. And I kept going to Mass because my mother would have killed me if I didn't. <laughs> But in the convent school I went to, every year we had a three-day silent retreat. And at the end of those three days, we had confession. I'll never forget the priest. His name was Father Hamill. I went into confession. I, I didn't want to go. I opened my mouth to speak. I burst into tears. So unusual for me. And he said very kindly, just wait, we'll speak later. And, and later I told him what I felt. And he said, well, if what you say is right, then to live the Christian life must be the easy road, like rose-colored glasses. But he said, I tell you, it will be the most difficult and the most challenging, but the most fulfilling. And it wasn't like a flash of light. I just thought, I never thought of that. 
So I began from that point my walk towards my own relationship with God, not what I had inherited and assumed as mine, but my own. And it was just about a year and a half after that, I was singing at weekends in folk clubs in Dublin. I wasn't a singer. I was a pianist. I, I wanted to teach music. So piano was my love. That's what I studied. And English literature. But everybody sang in my time. I mean, and, and I knew I wasn't the best singer. I mean, I knew that there were much better singers than me. But I sang. I won a talent competition. I got a recording contract. And the secretary entered me to audition in the National Song Contest. You sing someone else's song, but if that song wins, you go to represent your country in the Eurovision Song Contest. Are any of you aware of the Eurovision Song Contest? Okay, well you soon will be because you're going to have your own year in America. I don't know what they're going to call it, but um, it's a very famous competition. And as Father said, I went completely unknown, even in Ireland. And the song I sang was called All Kinds of Everything. I was 18. I had already retired from the idea of being a singer. I got too nervous going on stage. I didn't want to sing anymore. I was concentrating on being a teacher. I won this national song contest. I went to Amsterdam. I signed for Ireland and I won it. I should just teach you a little bit of a song. There's a little line at the end of each verse. All kinds of everything remind me of you. All kinds of everything remind Snowdrops and daffodils, butterflies and bees, sailboats and fishermen, things of the sea, wishing wells, wedding bells, early morning dew, all kinds of everything remind me. Celine Dion. 
So it was a massive competition. At the time, I lived in, in an apartment in what was called the Bogside, where the troubles were raging on the street outside where we lived. There was bombs, there was... It was a very dark time. And because I came from that little place, there was a huge interest. The day after I won, there was three international film crews sleeping on the landing outside our front door. It was massive. And I went on to have, a, thank God, a very successful singing career. But then God stopped me in my tracks. I was diagnosed with a growth on one of my vocal cords, not a nodule, which you normally get as a singer, it's like a corn on the, on the cords. It was a growth with a root. And thank God it was not cancer, but they had to cut it out. So it meant I had to learn to speak again, and then learn to sing again. So I, I, I couldn't speak at all. I had a little notebook, and I would write down, and I just couldn't speak. Actually, that went down very well with a lot of people. <laughs> but, and I had known Damien at that time, since 1972 we met. He had a hotel in the north of Ireland with his brother and sister, and we had a mutual friend. Uh, he was a Cistercian monk called Father Thomas, a wonderful man in an enclosed order who knew every single thing that was happening to everyone. Just a wonderful, wonderful priest. And he, I think, took me years to realize he was matchmaking. He asked Damien to give the hotel for the night and would I sing to raise money for a charity he supported. And that's how we met. So we were friends for, for about six years. Then I had my operation. That's when God stopped me in my tracks. I was about to be launched into America. And uh, well, I had I had done a part in a in a in a film, uh, a commercial film, um, with Ralph Nelson was the producer of it, who had done Soldier Blue. Then he wanted to do a film that his children could watch, and it was called The Flight of the Doves. I was with Ron Moody. Remember Ron Moody who did uh, Shylock in um, Oliver, the film Oliver? And uh, Jack Wilde, who played the part of Oliver. And, and I played the part of, uh, of a gypsy girl. I thought, if you went into movies, it was going to be all glamour. <laughs> Every day they put glycerine on my hair, dirt on my face, and a filthy cardigan on me. And I thought, oh, this is not at all what I imagined. And, and I didn't want to be involved in, in, in the films anymore. But it was during that time when I lost my voice. I was so wrapped up in my career, and I loved it so much, that I didn't realize that it was like 95% of my thought, my time, my energy, and everyone satellited around me to support that. I never realized that it was too much of my time and thought and energy. And so God stopped.
sometimes I'd be kneeling and the thought would flash through the back of my head. There's nobody there. You're praying to nothing. And then it would be gone. But it was recurring. And when I lost, lost my, my voice, I think that was a time when Damien and I, first of all, we had more time together. Also, I couldn't pray to be healed. I, I thought, I'll, I'll pray to accept God's will. But natural fact, I know now I was afraid to pray to be healed. Because if I wasn't healed, then it would confirm the little doubting voice. There's nobody there. And it's too much to go into now, but I had almost like a, a miraculous experience, which brought me to exactly the teacher I needed. And she led me back. I wouldn't always say gently. Sometimes I felt like I'd been beaten round the ring by Cassius Clay. I just, it was hard. But I came back to singing, and Damien and I, after six years, we were engaged and married within six months. Just like that. How God works. But it was through Damien and his family. I know that some of you have mentioned that you've prayed the rosary with the rosary recording that I made with Father Kevin Scannon. And that's Damien's brother. Father Kevin Scannon. And through his family, who had all become involved in charismatic renewal. And in Northern Ireland, that was extremely important. Well, first of all, when he wrote to me in 1974, about then, he wrote to me a letter which shocked me so much. He wrote, I, I know I love you, but I don't love you as much as Jesus loves you. And I'm going to risk our friendship to tell you that you need to look into that. I, I mean, an Irish Catholic man didn't speak like that. Not right, Father. They just didn't. <laughs> I was so shocked, I compared his signature to another letter. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And I have to say, I was hoodwinked into a little charismatic prayer meeting. I did not like the charismatic movement at all. It embarrassed me to see people praying with their hands in the air and saying, praise you, Jesus. I did not like it at all. And, and I remember, I did try. I, I went to a charism big charismatic meeting in Dublin. In fact, I, I went twice. Father Kevin was there, and after it, I said, Father Kevin, there's, there's no point in me going to these meetings. I can't stand it. I'm embarrassed. I keep waiting for people to come in white suits and take them away. <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at me, and I thought, he's compassionate. He didn't understand. So Father Kevin looked at me, and he said, well, if you spent less time looking around you and more time praying, you'd be better off. <laughs> but even that didn't mean, I, I just, I couldn't stand it. I was visiting Damien and his family in their hotel. At that time, his hotel had been bombed about six times. And 
There was a lot of suffering in the north of Ireland, a great deal of suffering. But Catholic and Protestants came together to pray in the charismatic renewal. And I truly believe that that was the foundation of the healing that came. The people and the prayer came first, and the politicians followed like a ring around their nose. But it was that prayer foundation that was going on probably from the late 60s. So it was mid-70s. I was still resisting this, but I couldn't say a word against it because I could see that Damien had a deep peace in the middle of all the turmoil and the danger. It was horrible. He had threats against his life. They had constant bomb scares, but I could see he had peace, and I couldn't say anything to endanger that. Oh, but I didn't like it. Like, he'd take me out in the day. He'd take me home. And before I'd get out of the car, he'd say, why don't we say a little prayer together? And I'd go, oh, no. Drawbridge came down on my mind, and I was one side of it, and he was the other. But anyway, I went for lunch, and there was a nun and a priest, Father Mar. I don't remember the name of the nun, Sister Rita. They were traveling from Dublin to Belfast to pray with a young woman whose legs had been blown off in a mistaken carpet. And they stopped for lunch. You know, I generally like people until they prove otherwise. It's just my nature. I took an instant dislike to both of them. I couldn't stand the way she talked. I couldn't stand the way he met. I didn't like anything about them. Which I have come to recognize is a great tool of an evil one. He uses fear, or whatever he can, Lock you coming to him. Well, I couldn't get up from the table, but uh, I just couldn't wait till that lunch was over. The lunch finished, and Damien's brother, a saintly man, said, Why don't we go upstairs and have a little prayer meeting together? <laughs> you understand. <laughs> We went into the room, his sister was there, uh, two of his sisters, two of his brothers. By the way, my husband is the baby of 15 children. Wow. Yes. He never told me that for a full year. <laughs> they sat in a circle, they took out their Bibles, they began to pray, then they began to pray in tongues. And I just had this terrible fear. My heart was pounding. Words were going through my head like voodoo. <laughs> Satanic. Then this young priest got up and began to pray over people. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I was terrified. If there is anyone here today who has not been here before, not familiar with what it's like, 
you can speak to this gentleman and me. <laughs> it's terrifying. And I was thinking, I'll just run. I'll just run right that door. And then I thought, I know these people. They're not crazy. Maybe they have something I need. That's all. They are kneeling in the 
main place and claim the rosary. Men, just men. I mean, I just feel that men have been robbed of their place in society. And that our children, our boys, are being robbed of their rightful place as protectors and leaders of their family. We're living in a very interesting, challenging, difficult time. But yet we're clearly seeing the finger of God highlighting what we need to do, what we need to change. Praise you, Jesus. I mean, we are in the middle of battle, a, a huge battle for the soul of our children and our grandchildren and of generations to come. But yet he has chosen each one of us by name to be here today, to be in the battle today. You know, I, I once had a, I, I don't presume to call it a vision, but I certainly saw clearly a picture. And I was speaking with Paddy Mansfield, uh, who was the first recognized Catholic charismatic in America. Paddy and Anne, her husband, are very dear friends of ours. And I saw a battleground, like, like an olden day battleground. And there was bodies and rubble, and you know, the smoke was rising up out of the ground. And there was one little lone, like a little boy, that standard bearer. He had a all pole at the time I didn't know what it was, and flapping in the wind was a little triangular flag at the top of it. I didn't really understand what it meant. He was standing there strongly in the middle of all this destruction, and he knew that the reinforcements were coming and that they were going to be drawn to this little. I said, Pally, I don't know exactly what it means, but this is what I saw. And she said, well, the standard bearer was the one who kind of led the troops. And, and generally, they were the youngest. They weren't fighters, but they were placed, whether they were going to advance or retreat. And so the troops would follow this little figure. But she said, what was on the flag? Because I knew there was something on the flag, but I couldn't, couldn't see it. And she said, what was written on the flag? Was it faith? I said, I don't know. She said, was it hope? I said, I don't know. Courage? I don't know. But I'll pray. And you pray. And so I prayed. I prayed and Patty prayed. And it was almost like a day or two later that I saw what was on that little flag. You know what was on that flag? the reinforcements who are coming, and we are the standard bearer of today, called by name. We went to Medjugorje to pray, to discern what God wanted for us. Oh gosh, I could tell you so much that's going
sorrow in our lives, like every one of you that has your own story. And we've come through probably one of the most difficult trials of our lives since 2011. It's just been a constant really difficult and yet we felt over the past few years that God wanted to do something and we didn't know what and, and I felt that I had nothing more that I could do you know nothing more I could do I didn't know what to do so we went to Medjugorje to pray as we've done in the past the first time we went was in the early 90s. We, this hotel had been blown up and, and I was working in mostly the commercial field, but we had really grown in our faith. But my work, our work, took us away from the children so much. We had moved back to live in Northern Ireland. The troubles were still raging, but we felt that they had more of a, a social, they could go to a Catholic school, they had family around them, and we wanted that for our children, despite the troubles. But all my work was in Europe, or England, or America, and I, I would get so depressed being away from the children. You know how it is the first day or two, you think, oh, thank God I can sleep. <laughs> but then you get really depressed. And so we were praying, God, give us a way to provide for our children, and yet a way to be with our children. And, and we had a beautiful home. I remember driving up the driveway one day after leaving the children to school. I just stopped the car. I said, Lord, just take it along. Take everything. But please give me time with the children. Because that is my first vocation as a wife and mother. And we kept praying. And we were invited to go to um, I was invited to sing at a rosary rally in Florida with Father Patrick Payton. Now, I thought he was dead. This was um, 91. My mother had seen him after the war in London doing the living rosary in Wembley Stadium. So I assumed this man must be dead. I didn't know very much about him except that he was the Irish rosary priest. I felt I couldn't go because, listen, I, I knew, I, I had enough rosaries to open my own shop. <laughs> but I find it really difficult to pray. Really difficult to pray. So I, first of all, I thought, oh, I can't go. Then my mother heard about it. She was so thrilled. I thought, I, I have to go. So we went. And we met him at a private dinner, just about eight of us around the table. He walked in and you knew you were in the presence of a saintly man. And he was placed right opposite me. I was nearly afraid to look in his eyes because I thought, he's going to know I don't pray the <laughs> And then he started telling us about his life. That they prayed the rosary kneeling in the kitchen. I thought, oh, we did that. And he said, my chair had wooden arms. You know, you could see through Said, and I always prayed like this. I thought, oh, this man was born a saint. And he said, and one night my brother slapped 
me across the head in the middle of the rosary. And we all went, oh! And he said, and I deserved it because I was reading a comic. <laughs> well, I never felt such relief. Oh, well, thank you, Jesus, because this man didn't pray the rosary well either. And now he's a rosary priest. And then he said, I've been looking for a theme song for my rosary ministry for 40 years. And he looked straight in my eyes. He said, could you write it? No. I mean, my head was going, I thought, no. I don't even pray it. No. <laughs> and we, we weren't even leaving the room before I began to hear in my head words and music. And I thought, that's, that's just me. That's impossible. That night I couldn't sleep. Tossed and turned. And the next day, I was singing in the rally, the Highlight Stadium in West Palm Beach. And Damien and I were walking down the stone steps, and I said, Damien, I don't know what this is. It's not a song. You know, a song is first chorus, first chorus, middle section, chorus, chorus. So it's not a song. And I don't know what it is. It just keeps repeating. And Damien said, don't be afraid of repetition. The rosary is repetition. And as soon as he said it, it was like, I just saw it in front of me. It was some prayers before and after the decades. I knew that the priest would give a meditation and a teaching, very simple. And then I heard, and it will be used to teach the rosary to those who do not know it and refresh the rosary for those who do. Clear as day. I ran down to the ladies' locker room. The ladies' choir was there. I borrowed a guitar, tried to get it out of my head. We did a rough tape for him that night. Gave it to him. He left the following morning. He called when he arrived in New York. He said, this is what I've searched for for 40 years. About two weeks later, we're in the studio recording it with Father Patrick Baden. But it was very near the end of his life. And between the decades was a song prayer to the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts, enkindle in us the fire of your Worldwide. A 
since then we've done a rosary of healing. So rosary of healing. We've done a rosary of to Our Lady of Guadalupe. For those of you who are Hispanic, the rosary was recorded with Monsignor Eduardo Chavez. He was the postulator for the sainthood of Saint Juan Diego. He didn't speak English, I didn't speak we had a miracle happen with that. But what he did say was that Hispanic people are being drawn to the joy of the evangelical, Protestant evangelical movement. He said, every Mexican is a child of Guadalupe. But it's like um, a great Catholic. He said, if they understood the message of Our Lady of Guadalupe, they would never be able to it's been a burden that we haven't been able to reach that community because I know the importance and the power of this rosary. And then we did a rosary of intercession for priests. And, and alongside that, I did a lot of music recording songs. Well, maybe just to say that when we went to Medjugorje the second time, the first time our prayer was answered, we, we came to live in America again. It was a miraculous intervention in our lives. The second time was in September. We knew we had to go. It, it came that we went to Sister Bridge and the priests of the core groups of intercession for priests. I'm so grateful. I, I'm going to finish my book. The Lord gave me a song on Easter Sunday about five or six years ago, which I want you to pray we're going to record. Um, it's a new hymn to St. Patrick, and it's called Light the Flame. So I'm just going to teach you the chorus of it. Light the flame in my heart once again. Light the flame in my heart once again. And the fire will Yes, the fire will burn in the darkness as on that ancient hill the embers burning still. Light the flame in my heart once again. Light the flame in my heart once again. And the Yes, the fire will burn in the darkness as on that ancient hill the darkness will be filled with much for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.